I fell into a ring of fire. I fell in. When you kiss me, fever, when you hold me tight. Fever. Welcome to Fever FM. Tonight I am joined by Dale, Dave, and returning again uh, triumphantly, Helena. Triumphant. Hello, hello. A popular demand. I would say the triumph is that my name has now been said correctly twice in a row on this podcast. Yep, that's how we pay you, by saying your name properly. On International Women's Day, no less. Yep, see? See? paying tribute um let's crack on to some football because that's what we're here to do and i'm already tired up against newcastle uh back in the cacton a couple of changes callan elliott returning from his five yellows uh sam sutton injured but a nice replacement and lucas moragas coming back in and costa returning via the bench uh pretty much as we expected i think everybody no one had any differences there. Yeah, poor old Sam Sutton, eh? He um he seems to cop an injury or sickness at yeah, unopportune times. Like he just got back a starting spot and then does a hammy when he got sick first time and then lost his spot for a long time to Maragas. So Is he the um, new Louis Fenton? Louis tends to go all or nothing though, doesn't he? He's he's like full season done or not. Yeah. And and it likes to hammer the same injuries again and again. Like just keep doing shoulders. That'll be that'll be a good one. It's very classic though. Like that's just so typical that you have someone who's out for some reason, like sickness or another injury, and then they come back and they do a hamstring. Like that's a tale as old as time. So well, you'd kind of hope that Sam's young enough that he should be flexible and not go all um, fragile when he comes back, but. These athletes these days. Let me tell you from experience, youth and fragility are not mutually exclusive. (laughs) Well, hopefully he's made of stern stuff uh, and is coming back uh, because I thought he had a game last week. Should we just crack into the details? Uh, Newcastle uh, missing, um, obviously, uh, their Phoenix trio that they got in the off-season. One has already gone off and scored against us last week. Uh, for the Mariners, and I'm not even going to say his name, uh, even though his dad's probably going to chase me down. Um, Soterio was there, but uh, no surprise, Piscopo out injured. Um, I'm feeling like that's probably what we expected from them. Uh, very surprising, Soterio starting with Bahagia as well, which is pretty rapid, had me con- concerned a little bit. Uh, yeah, definitely speedy front. I can't remember who was on the left, but yeah, speedy front people. Think- Saito. Oh, yes, that's right. I don't know. He didn't seem particularly speedy to me. But, um, yeah, I think they're missing a couple of players, aren't they? They're... Um... Uh, Milahadzi? Is that... Is that... I've probably pronounced that wrong. I was working so hard on Helena and didn't get his name right. I'm more important. Well, there's... They got two two beckers from Cypriot, aren't they? I think. One of them came on late and I think the other injured the, the striker, so... I think Bahaja started sort of up the middle. It was Soteria on the one side. Uh, it is Darts Melia. Is that the other one? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with that because I'm assuming that he is what Dale refers to because Dale's a good researcher. Um, so nothing too surprising there. Uh, 
really was anyone else thinking this was how we're going to screw this up and who and how is Soterio going to manage to score three goals because that's what we do we play strikers into form and we give X players goals well I put money on Bahaja scoring uh in that game so I was pretty confident that was going to come off um it almost came off pretty pretty early but um yeah Soterio was basically invisible the whole game I think he had a couple of balls in behind that went drifted down past the um, dead ball line in the first fifteen minutes, and then after that, I didn't realise he was he was playing when I was watching the replay. Mm. I I yeah. got the impression that they were watching for the ball over the top and him getting to it, and then went, "You can do whatever you like." Apart from that, because you're not good at it, and so it proved. Uh, felt like they maybe watered the uh, grass a little bit just to stop those ones over the top uh, slowing down, just get them skipping onwards. Um, those ones that you're talking about, Dale, the first 15 minutes, it just looked like they just skipped and and ran away from Soterio before he even got a chance to get onto them. I think that's also partly the angle of the run that gets made. Like That's something that I used to think about all the time when Soterio was like at the Knicks, for example. Like There's a real subtlety to making the right angled run. Mm. And I think oftentimes he doesn't. No, it, those ones that he was chasing, he was... He was very directly behind the ball, wasn't he? He's never catching that, even at his pace. Um, things were looking positive at the beginning. Um, did you get your hopes up? I don't know. Was it that positive? I don't know. That first yeah, I feel, like, I feel like they probably should have been up early on. The first kind of 10, 15 minutes, they had two really good chances that they probably should have scored. And then, yeah, we, we end up kind of having one um, that hits the post at about the half-hour mark. But, but honestly, I thought the first kind of half, for the most part, was reasonably even and could have gone either way um bit of luck their way and they could have been up instead of us yeah there's there's one where there was a cover tackle by i think was it cullen elliott i think and it felt to bahaja who smashed it straight against sales legs legs. basically lying on the ground that was a pretty pretty good chance that one um i guess a little bit you know fortunate in the fact it was a, a tackle that kind of fell to their player but um that was kind of the real first decent chance um I've run it down there as 18 minutes. But um, I didn't feel that that was, I guess it, it didn't feel like they were earning much. And I, I'm less worried about the ball falling to Bahagia and Saturio uh, rather than them running onto it. They're both players that when they're running onto it and don't have time to think, they can score and score worldies. But if you ask them to place a shot into the top corner, not their forte. God, they're just like me for real. But I think that these two points are like reconcilable, right? Because I, I agree. I don't think the Jets are a team that are going to nine times out of ten create something world class. But the Phoenix were, you know, giving up scraps, which is when you line up against the Jets, that's pretty much your priority number one is don't do that. Um, so I thought Moragas and some of the stuff they're doing down the flanks was like a bright spot in the first 15 minutes. But one is the hope that kills you. And two, I thought that we were way too messy part of that messiness was probably the that high press that newcastle were playing right they were playing an extremely high press i mean they, they kept possession quite well but it was it was very much middle third position um you know knocking it round along the back line you know u-shaped you know up one flank back out up the other. and i thought we, you know for the most part we defended pretty well i don't remember them having you know very um many shots that 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 created um but obviously they had a lot more possession and when we did win it as you say they they pressed us quite high and i think it probably took us a good 30 minutes to 
kind of work out how to get around that. And when we did, at sort of 15 minutes before halftime, we sort of clicked up another gear and um, managed to break their press, get them behind, look a bit more dangerous with a bit more space and, and create a few more chances. This was kind of probably what made me more optimistic was the fact that we were, even though we weren't progressing the ball, we were able to keep the ball away from their high press. And I didn't think they could keep up that high press for an entire half. And it certainly didn't look like like that last 15 minutes. It felt like they fell off. They were trying the high press, but just couldn't get anywhere near the ball. Yeah, and I think perhaps, um, you know, if we had Lewis in there, say we might have been able to break that break that line a few more times, I think. Just his, his passing range and moving it quicker with a bit more zip as opposed to sort of Rufa and Jugarkovic in there who quite often ended up sitting in between centre-backs. They just don't move it as as quick. And I think, you know, Lewis in there, we, we may have been able to pass, pass a few more triangles and get, and get round into the attacking sort of half a bit more. You you obviously mentioned the um, uh, sail-saving with his legs. Um, there was another one where... Uh, Buhajia tried to chip Ollie Sale, and again, it was just that quality finish that's not his forte. So we, it did feel like we were forcing them to play against type, but not denying them possession. Yeah, I think it was the perhaps the only time they really got in behind our backline, like you know, physically in behind um, when we and our defenders were a bit higher up the field. And yeah, I'm, I I think they. They showed a replay about whether he was offside and looked quite marginal, so it may have ended up being called back. But yeah, it was about the only time they got him behind, and then obviously fell to Barge. And I think he had a pretty average first touch that kind of caused the ball to bounce up, and his second touch with his left foot was just kind of all shin over the crossbar and never even looked close. Hmm. I think maybe Tim Payne got back, or Elliot may have got back. I think to put a bit of pressure on. I thought that was one the ball came running back, but it might, might have been another one. There was a couple of those. Uh tackles that kind of uh, were somewhat desperate. Um, we did start looking a bit better by that stage. Um, Jan Sass hitting the um, hitting the post. I, I was I was really hoping this was going in because that kid has been so up and down. I was just hoping that, you know, get a goal and maybe his head would lift a bit. But denied and cry of, um, yeah, that's probably yeah. not something he's going to want to see in replay, is he? No, I think I think this was the worst miss. I mean, Sass from a from a pretty tight angle under some pressure manages to beat everyone. And if that was not hitting the post, it was a goal. You know, the keeper's not getting there. The defenders have already already missed it. If if that's in, it's in um, from a pretty tough spot. But when this rebounds to Krayev, I mean, he should finish this, and he's good enough. He should finish this. We've seen um, how good his his touch and his tight control is, and this is the first time we've really seen him have. A shocker of a touch, and then just toe poke at it lazily. Um, I think he, I think he's trying, but the touch has just got away from him, and it, it, yeah, it just all goes completely wrong for him. Um, and yeah, trickles at the line and gets cleared pretty easily. Uh, but I think he would personally be gutted with that one. Yeah, it felt to me like he thought he had more time, decided to take a touch rather than hitting it first time, and then realised, oh, oh crap, I don't. Um, do you think he should have taken that? It felt to me like he should have taken that first time. Oh, probably. And, he, and he's good enough he probably could have too, right? But the, the frustrating thing about this one was there was actually some nice, like, tight control there. I mean, the layoff from ball's pretty good. Um, this felt like it deserved a goal. 
and just didn't get one. You know, it ends up a bit of a gold mouth scramble and, and they clear it away. But it was the first kind of real moment where you're like, well, we definitely should have scored that. Mm. Well, fortunately, we didn't have to wait too long. Um, I, I'm not going to say this has deserved a goal by any stretch, but there was a bit of sustained pressure. Uh, uh, Duncan had looked a little bit squirrely um, once before, but oh my Lord, we have a couple of former goalkeepers in another life. Uh, do you want to describe this one, lads? He just drops it cold. He he initially he initially gets frustrated with himself about it too, but then he um then after he's kind of let that out, he then goes and complains at the referee like he was fouled. But I mean, there's no foul in this. I mean, that's not to say you don't see these called because sometimes you do. Sometimes you see overprotective refs see any sort of contact there or even even a, a goalkeeper complaining there was contact and blow the whistle. But he just drops it cold. He gets two hands to it out in front and drops it. Yeah, I, I thought um, Crive had position and Duncan's tried to just grab it over the top of him, right? I mean, if strikers can't, like now, striker chiming in. If strikers can't contest for the ball, what is the outcome? You know, so he's allowed to jump. And conversely, Duncan is allowed to get a knee up and take him out. Yeah, Duncan's had a long history of, of dropping quite easy crosses in the, in the league. Um, so it's not surprising. As Dave said, his first reaction is to turn around and smash the post and then runs off to complain. I, the, the thing that like you, I really look for is, you know, does the striker have his eyes on the ball or the player? Does does he jump in into the into the goalkeeper or sort of straight up? And is he try is he interfering with the arms? And Crave did none of those three those three things, and so he's just he's just dropped it dropped it cold. I mean, and, and even if you're a goalkeeper and, and you know he knows he's there, just punch it away. You've got a nice clean punch, play it safe. But he's tried to tried to grab it and, and just dropped it cold. Yeah, yeah, just an utter clangor of a league proportions, um, which I which we all love to see. To be honest, there hasn't been. There's still the odd one nowadays, but really it's not quite as bad as it used to be. Uh, Matt Acton's a good one for another uh, <laughs> as well. He's got he's got doozies in him. We also didn't have to wait too much longer for a bit more excitement. Yeah, and I, I can't remember which defender it was. Angus Thurgate. Oh, yeah, yeah. The man that looks like he's 40, but is only like 24. Mm. Uh, he He's got back in defence quite nicely, but the ball is just bowled up off his hand and every single Knicks player is just start screaming at the ref and, and giving the, the handball signal. Um, so firstly, let's let's have a bit of a straw poll. Is this a handball? And then should it be a handball? Who wants to start? Dale does. He was, he was chatting me about it at the game at the time. And I, I feel like we're going to express exactly the same opinions we did then. Like, I mean, it's a handball. We've, every, every call based on every league around the world and the way VAR is refing handballs at the moment, this was always going to be called a handball. You know what I hate is the argument against this being a handball, which it is, that says that how are you supposed to jump without your hands going up? You just do it? Like, it, you, if you need your hands to jump, then you have a serious conditioning issue as a footballer. Like, you are taught to defend by jumping with your hands down. I, I I would have more sympathy if he had jumped up and was competing for the header and his arms happened to be there and it crashed off. But what's happened is the ball's going over, he knows he's not getting to it, and he's jumping to block. Yep. And if you're jumping to block and then you have your hand, your palm, which yep. it, it appears to have hit at about your head height, I don't think you've got any complaints whatsoever. 
I, I agree with that. I was thinking the same thing. As soon as it becomes a block, it's it's just, it's not even going for the ball, right? It's just making yourself bigger. Yeah, it's not rational. Like if you're trying to climb over someone to compete for the header, then yeah, your hands are probably going to start to move. But just as you're taught to defend across with your hands out of the way, you're taught to jump yeah. to block headers the same way. Like it's just, it's nothing new. And I think sometimes we kind of talk the handball rules into being more controversial and problematic than they are. Like there are some areas where it's super harsh and it's a problem. But equally, sometimes we just have this crazy debate when we don't need to. Like this is not a bad handball call. I yeah, I, I want to agree with you entirely, but I I don't think it's I don't think it's fans or people watching who've created that. I and this is what I was saying to Dale at the game. I think IFAB when they first wrote these changes to the handball rule did themselves a massive disservice by including the words natural position. Because that's not what they meant. They didn't mean natural position. And people people read natural position and think, well, you do jump with the arms out and whatever. And you and you're totally right that people can condition themselves to do that, but it's not the way people naturally jump, right? People naturally do jump with arms out. You, you can watch kids on a playground doing it all the bloody time. Naturally, you don't jump with your hands out. So it's that use of the word natural and how they wrote the rule that does everyone a disservice and creates all this confusion. Because if that if those words are not there, none of this is controversial at all. Like it's just not. Because you can train yourself to jump without your hands going up like that. But naturally... A lot of people would jump with their hands up or away from the body or do all sorts of things in a natural position in anything other than football. And so we never meant natural position. We meant how you're trained to do it and how you should be doing it as a football player, which they didn't want to write down and they shouldn't have they shouldn't have put the words natural position anywhere near it. They should have just described what they meant. Well, I mean, not to be a lawyer about it, but now that we've stumbled upon the topic of rules. <laughs> what I would I agree with you. I think the word natural is what creates this animus and what i would probably have looked for is something that more references what is kind of the the real key distinction like are you making a silhouette correct silhouette was the thing they should have talked about absolutely but that said your rules are always going to be imprecise in language so you're supposed to read them in context and natural clearly doesn't mean for like human biology it means for a footballer you know so even that said and i totally take your point i still think that there's an extent to which referees commentators whatever it may be are kind of just continuously reanimating yeah. a debate that the game doesn't really need like we've got enough stupid things to talk about yeah well i just i just think in the in the law they could have left those words out that the explanation and guidance to referees is very clear and talks about silhouette either either leave those words out and let the guidance to referees talk about it or talk about silhouette in the law it, it was that simple as soon as they added those words to the law it created confusion that then is clarified by the guidance to referees, but didn't need to be in there. So they should have just left it alone. Yeah. I'm not sure silhouettes that much better. Cause I think I'm more inclined to give some leeway for arms that are kind of not necessarily by your side, but you know, kind of say a 30 or 45 degree angle away from you. Right. Cause your arms do flap around. It's really hard to run around with your arms by your side, not in this instance, right. This is different, but so your silhouette is like if your arms are by your side. I feel like there needs to be some leeway for, you know, your natural swinging of your body and arms. I mean, I would contest that meaning of silhouette too, but. Yeah, and I, I think as well, we see VAR call those. A 30 or 40 degree angle, if it strikes the hand, we see those penalties given by VAR. Not necessarily yeah. every time, but we certainly see them get given. What to me is a key question, and like, I mean, I think about rules in terms of questions, is it's just like, did they 
is there something else they could have done? Because the handball calls that we can kind of all agree are problematic is when the defender's just like totally shafted. They, their hands are right by their body. There's nowhere else they can put them. Whereas this is on the harsh end of the spectrum, but could have jumped with his arms down because he knew he was going up to block, right? You know, So yeah. it's that kind of leeway of movement that I think is really the delineating point. But again, like, that's never going to be perfect either because this is actually the kind of whole thing, right? Rules are always going to suck a little bit. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, I think it's that, have you had time to really adjust your body given the circumstances? So this time he had time to realize the ball's going over me. I need to jump. I shouldn't put my arms out. It's the same ones where like, you know, people try to put in a, a cross and they put in, you know, they leave, they reach out with their leg, but they also chuck their hand up like out wide like and you know you know what's happening you've had a chance to, you should be able to take that situation and go actually i've got a chance to adjust my arms because i know what's about to happen it's the same like when people try to put a block you know, a sliding block in and they have their arms by the head you know like you know what's happening you need to be able to learn how to adjust your body because you've got time to react if it's someone smashing at you and your arms happen to be out i'm a bit less yeah a bit more kind of comfortable with that because the situation didn't play out with a lot of time for you to kind of contemplate what you needed to do. Which is a hard rule to pithily articulate in a sentence for the laws of the game, right? Because it's contextual, yeah. it's based on the facts, like all rules, but people don't yeah. like when you kind of point out that the emperor has no clothes and say it's all just factual, it's going to be different every time. But that is yeah. essentially what we see anyway. I mean, the, the worst situation is what I think Jacob Spoonley said on in the coverage. He said, "Oh, we should just go back to like any touch on the hand as a, a handball, and that's just strict ridiculous. liability." Oof. <laughs> because what you'll just get is people playing for handballs every time they get into the box. You just be getting, people getting close to you and flicking up into your arm trying to get a handball. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> disagree with that. That is an opinion purely by an ex-goalkeeper. It's like anyone handles in the box apart from me. Yep, it's my ball. Thank you. <laughs> Get out. Only I can use my hand. Yeah, I def definitely, definitely disagree with that, which is why, like, again, for me, I think it's just so circumstantial and it's so about, like you say, Dale, like what decision-making capacity is there? What other options were there? Which is, like, to me, is kind of like a lawyer. That's a really standard way of deciding what side of the line things fall on. So it doesn't freak me out, but I see why it feels too uncertain to people. Well, I think I think the scary thing for a lot of people is just consistency because I think most people who've watched a lot of football could find an example. Like I think I think very few people would disagree with what we're saying here. Um, like this one, this one clearly is a handball. He's unlucky, but it's a handball. I don't think there's much disagreement on that. But I think you could find decisions not only in the A League, but you look at other leagues around the world where we would have disagreement and say that this falls one side of a line or the other side. And we just don't see that consistency. And that that's probably an issue with a new laws, a new VAR system. And then, you know, in the A-League in particular, just the quality of all of that, you know, the, the full-time referees haven't been around for that long, um, let alone all of these other things. Right. So it's, it's hard to get consistency when, you're in an ever-changing environment. And that's what fans want to see, right? Is if I see this is a handball over here, it should also be a handball over there. And we don't see that, but maybe we will get there with more time. And, you know, the same arguments, yellow cards, red cards, VAR decisions about pretty much anything lead down that same rabbit hole, right? And, and it probably is just we haven't had it that long and we will maybe eventually head towards some consistency. But who knows? We're never going to think that we're consistent. Like, that is something that, like, I will absolutely just say that that 
that certainly I don't think that football fans are ever going to think we're consistent enough because you view because it's so circumstantial and you view circumstances through the paradigm of what you want to happen. So even if you think that you are somehow the perfectly neutral football fan who is able to 100% objectively assess a handball, you're always going to see these fine distinctions slightly differently because of the game context, the tournament context, who who it is, which team it is. Like, we're never going to think it's consistent enough. Like, so I think that there are systemic points in there that are true, like how well we train refs, how well we communicate across leagues. But I also think that football fans are just always going to whinge about this. I yeah. thought you were a lawyer, not a philosopher. <laughs> Law is philosophy. Yeah, oof, oof, oof. And also my other degree is political philosophy, so. Oh, good. Unfortunately for you, <laughs> double whammy. Okay, well, I'm going to wrap this up because that VAR chat I know can go off <laughs> into separate episodes by itself. So um, let's just clarify, let's just roll on with the, yes, it was a penalty. Yes, we think it should be a penalty. And, uh Oscar Zavada has stepped up to take that penalty and has done the uber-confident strike straight down the middle at a wonderfully savable height, but Jack Duncan is obviously not having a good day. <laughs> yes, not like what I want to see when someone strikes it down the middle is the, yeah, about knee level. I was shocked when I finally saw this because obviously for a long time a lot of the FIFA haven't watched penalties, so I, I had my back turned, I knew this went in, um, I didn't see it so I caught the highlights later and I yeah oh he hit it really hard though yeah well that that almost gives the keeper less time to move doesn't it yeah because <laughs> no, keepers go move. before the ball's kicked I don't know I, I wasn't that worried about it I'm quite yeah. a big proponent of the smack it down the middle kind of oh, I, I I think it's a Statistically, solid it's great. but if you do it at about knee level if when a keeper dives his his inside leg is going to go up at about knee height and I could see it hitting that leg but it's got top spin on it it's going to spin off into the top of the net I don't know I just don't think it was that bad I I think if you're going down the middle you you don't smash it because yeah yeah you 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 give it a bit more time for the keeper to dive out the way um and and plus if it if if you're smashing it it rattles off a shin it's more likely to go who knows where but but you don't want to take back like you don't want to step back enough that it looks like you're chipping it because then the keeper knows he's got time. You know, you need to come in with some intent, but I agree. You don't smash it. You know, you need to, you need to hit it decently, but you don't ever want to look like you're just trying to chip it because you don't want to be a Eugene daddy. Is that what you're saying? Correct. (laughs) As soon as, as soon as you look like you're trying to take something off, the keeper might sense that. Right. But I agree. I don't want to think you hit this so hard that, it gets there before he's moved because he might be diving. And as you say, stray legs still there because you've hit it too hard. But either way, it went in, so it didn't really matter. But yeah, this based on the reaction of the crowd and everything, this is not what I expected to see when I watched the highlights. So I was, How many of you guys are goalkeepers? What percentage of goalkeeper are we? This is a real goalkeeper yarn because you're like, yeah, I would have saved that. Like, yeah, Luke would save that. Whereas I strike him like, no, I reckon it was all good. No, I never saved him down the middle. I always got the diving ones. I, I saved one where I just stood still because my team was so shit. I was upset with them, and the guy decided to chip it straight to me. So you're literally all goalkeepers. I I'm a former wicketkeeper, uh, so I mean, so am I. But I think it's a different discipline. I I yeah, they're all straight down the middle when you're a wicketkeeper. <laughs> they really aren't, mate. They really aren't. Not in the community grades, brother. <laughs> Yeah, you play social football and you're a wicketkeeper. You, you don't you don't mind getting hit by the ball, and that seems to be a great idea for football goalkeepers as well. 
Um, anyway, diversions off topic. Uh, got to half time. We felt on the up by that stage. Is that fair to say? Uh, you thought I was obviously overly optimistic in my early stage assessment. Oh, we certainly felt like we we're on the up. Like I say, I think I think ten minutes earlier, it still felt like a game that could go either way. As soon as you got two quick goals, you're thinking, "Great, how do we see this out from here?" Because that that in the A League should be enough to be job done, right? You you need to just avoid the banana skin from there, and you should be fine. Well, should we roll straight on to said banana skin uh, <laughs> returning in five minutes? Five minutes into the half, uh, Manabu Saito in his debut game for the Jets. Uh, rather industrious uh, effort from him all that second half. I thought he was he was dangerous and he was rewarded uh, early doors. I, I thought this was this was okay and it really hurt. Thought it was a nice finish. Yeah, that little delay, a little bit of a flick over I, sale. You know, I, I thought I thought the defenders should have done better here. I think they give him too much space. Uh, there's there's really only two attackers forward and there's three defenders and a goalkeeper there and they give the one other attacker who doesn't have the ball about five yards of yes. room, uh, which I really didn't like. So it made it made the finish a bit too easy for mine. I think it's still a great goal and they, that, you know, great, great cross to him, tidy finish. But I think if the defender's on him, this is a lot harder and I think it gives Ollie more of a chance to close him down as well. But, you, you know... The defender is where he is, and and the ball is perfect, and the finish is great. So good goal. Yeah, I think if you look at the side replay, it really shows that I think we got caught on the hop a little bit. I don't think they're expecting a ball to come across first time because I think yeah, I think it's right. Payne kind of gets there and tries to put a slide on, and if you look at um, Wooten, he's not really covering. He's kind of slowed down because I think he's expecting Bahaja. I think it's Bahaja to take a touch or something and he's kind of covering that as opposed to covering the the channel where a ball would would get crossed to so he's completely kind of out of place and I think Cullen Elliott again he is also kind of keeping pace with Sato Sato and then I think as the ball comes across he he loses him for a brief moment and that causes the tap-in and I also think where the goal is scored from I I do and it's hard to hard to tell but I wonder whether Sale may have been able to come out and block the yeah, the ball coming across as well. It's, it's hard because I mean the ball's come from reasonably wide. I think it's kind of the edge of the box, um, and I, it seemed like it was pretty good pace. But I just wonder whether Sale could have gone more straight out and tried to collect it rather than smother the shot. He definitely looked like he considered it. It looked like he took a step and looked at it, and then went, "Nah, I don't think I'm going to make it." So I mean, I, I guess you've got to say that was a good enough cross then that it got him in two minds. Yeah, well, let, let's call it what it is, the corridor of uncertainty, right? Like That's <laughs> oh, where it comes through, and, and both David. defender and keeper don't know whether they should go for it or not, and the striker knows he's the only one there, and so wins out. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think you, you look at it and you slow it down, and there's definitely opportunities here we could have stopped this goal, but the way it goes, good goal from them. It's it's you know quick football and a tidy finish. Uh, not long after this, uh, David Ball got yanked to bring on Costa. I thought this was an interesting call. Um, when you're only leading by one goal to exchange an industrious player with someone who is an outlet with flashes and coming off a bit of a, a layoff, seemed bold. 
I think this is the, the plain counter counter attack move. This is of course probably the our paciest um, player up front, and I think he's put, pulled him on to say, right, we're gonna um, we're gonna use you as the outlet and behind when we need to. I think this is the this is Terio kind of substitution that we had last couple of seasons. I I definitely see what you mean about pace, but it feels like Costa doesn't have the physicality to do that in channels that so kind of pushes him very, very wide if he wants to get the ball. And we saw that a few times when they hit it up to him as opposed to Zavada. They had to basically nail it along the sideline, in which case he, he just kind of get shadowed, right? And uh, and slow that breakdown. Uh, so I, I still think it's kind of interesting. It's like Zawada's, like he's, he tends to be good with the, being the little man to a big man, but I thought that... Um, the Newcastle strike defence did a pretty good job uh, nullifying Zawada from, you know, those those bring downs that he was doing so well pre- the previous weeks. Yeah, I think that was maybe a bit of reflection of how we were playing in general. Uh, we didn't have a lot of a lot of the ball in that second half, and, and you know, if you're going to play it into him, you need to be able to you know keep position for for a little bit to get people in and around him. I just don't think we really had that. Yeah, the mm. second half kind of fell to bits for long periods of time. Well, yeah, I mean, the the next substitution basically laid out the game plan, didn't it? With Costa up front, bringing Laws on uh, for Jan Sass to go to a back five. This is, this is Ufi. I mean, let's be positive and say that it's uh, showing patience with that defended all costs from early doors and that the Knicks would finally get it done. It hasn't paid off a lot this season. Well, I mean, I think the context before that is we got absolutely torn to shreds down that left side five or six times in the 10 minutes before then. Just about every time we lost the ball, they were attacking us down that side and it led to a couple of chances as well. In that sense, um, if you're going to continue to play higher fullbacks and you're still getting exposed, you either drop your fullback back and you don't have your wide outlet or is what he does is you put in a, a third centre back to provide a bit more width cover. I know people kind of said, oh, well, he's done it from 60 minutes, but to be fair, from 60 minutes to 85, we held our own basically after that. Um, I thought we had a bit more composure, a bit more solidarity, and, and it still gave us the chance to have our fullbacks pushing a bit higher. Um, and maybe we lost out in other bits in terms of central midfield and, and maybe a bit of creativity through the through the central channels, but it did seem to work, and I, I just didn't look as rattly as we did the 15 minutes before that substitution was yeah. made. I, I agree. I think the only thing that got me was how kind of contrasting these two substitutions were. The first one, you know, you're taking off Ball, who, as, you, as you've alluded to, Frosty, is pretty workhorse-like. You know, he, he, he will go for 90 minutes even if he's absolutely shattered, right? To bring on Costa, which... I don't think Costa, any of us would argue, brings as much defensively as Ball does. I mean, obviously, Ball's not a defensive player, but we know he's not afraid of coming back into that midfield and helping out where you need him to. Whereas Costa's much more, as you said, pacey. He's getting in behind. That's the sort of guy he's going to be. He's going to be making attacking runs. So even even though they're largely in the same position in the field, it is 
almost a more attacking substitution, right? So we've just we've just conceded, and the first substitution he makes feels quite attacking. Not not directly. It's not like take off a defender and put on a striker, but it feels more attacking minded. Then only a few minutes later, it's we're switching to a back five, and I, I agree with you. I think the switch the switch to the back five was the right move, and I think um, we did hold our own there. It just it just was the contrast between those two things that it seemed for once like rather than trying to park the bus like we've seen us do with mixed success um, to be generous. His first first reaction here was we've conceded one. Let's go find more goals for ourselves. And then pretty quickly, he's like, actually, nah, let's, let's settle in. Let's park the bus. And I think this was one of those times where parking the bus was the right call and it, it obviously came together and we got the points, but it just was the contrast in those two things that I think was interesting. Um, Cause we haven't really seen that from him. We're conceding. Let's go attacking. And then, oh, actually, now let's settle back into tight. Yeah, I think that the back five worked fine, but that we we just we're not able. Once we get that ball, we're not able to keep it, and that's the problem I have with this back five. And I I think that ball has a lot to do with it because he, as much as he plays in that advanced area, you know, nominally, he gets back and plays effectively almost as an eight as well. Uh, there was a, at least there was one instance where he came back. He was in the eighteen-yard box and made a block. Uh, came screaming back from nowhere, and that's the sort of thing he brings. Whereas we don't see Costa doing that, and that's no disrespect to Costa. That's just not him, right? It'd be silly for him to try. So that that I think is a bit of a problem for us. We just don't have someone to, if we do get the ball, to get the ball into the midfield and either delay till there's an outlet or find an outlet or whatever. And that it's a it's an issue for me because if you go full park the bus and then just end up giving the ball straight back, you could put yourself under a lot of pressure. And I think that that's been our, our issue when we try to park the bus. I think as the game wore on, it sort of the structure sort of broke down a lot more and we ended up just sort of getting the ball and kind of hoofing it. But I think once Laws came on, um, we did show some some more ability to pass it round and, and get past the press because I think that was starting to tire a little bit and we were getting you know, Elliot and and Moragas up the up the touch lines and we, we created a, a couple of chances from memory. But yeah, I think that sort of last ten minutes it was Ufi kinda of does that last ten minutes right, it's just all hands across the the eighteen yard box and it's backs to the wall. It's not it's not the prettiest. Um it's not great for your nerves either. Yeah. Uh, it always seems to be when there's only one goal in it. It would feel much happier when that was the approach and you're up by two or three, right? Which mm-hmm. you know, the approach is the same from him, but it always seems to be that we're having to dig in deep when there's only one goal in it. Um, as Dale mentioned, they didn't get too many opportunities after that. One was from a set piece. I think uh, Grozos um, Sale had to flick it over because he wasn't quite sure whether it was going to go in or not, um, but had it all under control. Uh, we should uh, add Costa did get a guilty opportunity. Unfortunately, ran himself offside before he put it into the net. Um, this getting offside in that position, it kills me, guys. It really does. Well, it was a wonder as well. Like there was two offsides in that in that move. So he um, did get another shot. Uh, I think maybe just a bit earlier, but it was straight at the keeper. I think the ball kind of fell. Mm. Fell to him, and he just didn't have enough. It wasn't just it was a bit sort of caught up in his feet, and he couldn't get a strong shot, and it went sort of straight to, to Duncan. And I think those are about our only two chances. There was a couple more uh, from 
from the jet to deflection and uh, a volley, but it felt like it was, I don't want to say petering out because there was a lot of tension out there, but it didn't feel like that either team quite had the quality to break it open when they needed to. Would that be a fair assessment? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're probably right, and, and that's, I guess, what we said, the result. It, the tension was certainly high. Um, it was scrappy. It wasn't. It wasn't pretty football from either team at this point. But I think. I think the reason that we don't see any more goals here is probably, as you say, the quality just wasn't there to do it. And you know, at this point, Newcastle have been forcing a high press for a long time. We've we've been working pretty hard too. And I think there's some tired legs out there. You've got some second or third string players coming into the mix. And yeah, tension tension was high. But yeah, I think you're right. Quality was lacking. Only real noticeable things after that was uh, Nico Boxall getting his debut um, and uh, Oscar Van Haddam getting on the field for a, a token minute. It, it seems like he, he's uh, not getting a whole lot of minutes to to show that he deserves a spot. Um, do we think that's a good idea given um, Zawada's four yellows? Is this Van Haddam, you mean? Yeah. I... I to be honest, I, I'm not the biggest fan. I haven't seen a whole lot of quality from him, but I was also sitting there going, Van Haddam could, uh, sorry, not Van Haddam, Zawada is tired. He could quite easily accidentally give himself a nice little yellow and a sit down for a week, which we cannot afford. No. I saw Van Haddam as like a, a much younger player at like the Western Springs under 17 tournament, kind of like destroying everyone. And was obviously, he was obviously super impressive then. I just, I don't know if it's due to opportunity or time or whatever. It hasn't really kind of come through. The same way, I think when Ben Old gets on the field, you see like a quality in yeah. everything he does that makes me think like, yeah, this this kid's like going to be at home at this level and beyond. I'm just not sure I get the same from kind of other academy products always. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like old comes on and he doesn't look out of place. I w- like you know he's young and you know he's still got more development to do, but you see glimpses of it. You see yep. you see the qualities there. There might be, you know, some some scratchy mistakes here or there, but broadly you can see it. It's the same when, you know, Wayne was coming around and stuff, you know, he wasn't wasn't always perfect, but you could see glimpses of it there. Same with Finn Sermon. Yeah. I don't I don't think I've seen glimpses of it from Van Hat. Like we at, certainly at youth level he was very good and I I hope he does come good, but in the opportunities he's had, I just don't think we've seen the glimpses. Like even thinking back to Sam Sutton, right? When he was getting mm. you know 10 15 minutes off the bench at the end of games for for a little while there, he looked decent. You could you could see that he was, you know, very close to the step up. Uh, yeah, Van Hat has probably had less opportunities, but I just think we've seen less glimpses too i think if we were seeing it he might earn himself a few more minutes but when you're only getting one minute off the bench it's hard to show much but it's not like this is his first time off the bench he has had some opportunities where he's got a few minutes and and even thinking about um cup games and things i think he's had some decent stretches on the field and we i i can't think of a time where i thought oh yep he looks like he's he's coming good uh the only positive uh from Zawada's yellow cards is he actually made active mention of them uh and said that he was going to be doing his level best to to ride out those I think it's the next two games before uh he gets the gets into the bonus round as far as yellows go. Um so that 
it's good that he is mindful of those things. Um, we should probably move on to the women's game unless anyone has anything further to add. We've really given that a, a good once over. Um, we're just going to call it uh, an ugly win and still a win, right? A heist, bit of a heist. Yeah, heist. Oh, see, I, I don't think it's a heist. I think it's just win ugly. No, I think it's a heist, but we'll agree to disagree. I think based on that second half, Newcastle should have got something out of this. They'll be gutted. Ah, oh, fuck him. <laughs> Amen. On to the uh, women's game. Uh, up against Brisbane, a good opportunity um, after their previous uh, round, uh, previous game in the earlier rounds. Um, this must have been targeted as, as points. The only person missing was Chico's off with the uh, Junior Matildas. Do they have a fancy name? Just Junior Matildas? No, nah, just Junior Matildas. Give her credit, though. Um, she had managed to get three goals for them. Or I was reliably informed by Dave that the team scored 13, so maybe take the edge off the, that hat-trick. But still, hat-trick nonetheless. Mackenzie Barry went to right back. Kate Taylor went back and centre-back. And Hassett, uh, Betsy Hassett came back into the middle. Um, I did not see uh, beyond the highlights of this game, unfortunately. You can shake your head all you, all you like, but I have extenuating circumstances. Thank you. I was going to say as well, I think I think um, Brisbane were missing a few players. I wouldn't be able to name who it was, but hopefully Helena has more intel on that than I do because, yeah, I think I think they had a couple of their key players out as well. They're missing some big names. Like Larissa Crummer was out. Um, Katrina Gorey wasn't there. Oh, wow. So, like, those, those two. Yeah. That's a yeah. massive bullet dodged right there like crummers will create a chance from nothing a game at least and quite often will score it and gory is just a class above really in any league that she's in yeah so we kind of really that was good for us and perhaps in light of that means that maybe only taking a point away or whatever we do we draw I did watch this. <laughs> yes, it was a draw. Yes, it was a draw. Yeah. It's yes, probably it... a bit of a missed opportunity. I just forgot whether they scored first or not, but no, we scored first. And yeah. then we let it slip. Yeah. Well, okay, so this is your second um, pod, but still, spoilers. <laughs> you can't – that's a ridiculous rule, and I'm just not going to be part of it. No, and fair enough. Testify. Everyone else ignores Frosty too. It's fine. He didn't even watch the game, so – yeah. I've decided yeah. to pay no attention to that, but thanks for your feedback. <laughs> <laughs> kind regards. Yeah. <laughs> Please refer to my previous email. <laughs> As above. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I uh, having watched the highlights and seen the stats, I, I'm looking at this game going, this looked like an opportunity lost. Was it an opportunity lost? Yeah, I reckon we missed the trick, to be honest. Like, that said, the A-League woman is a like really strange league. And I think it is a league where st- statistics are kind of like uniquely not representative because whilst the Phoenix kind of could have been more clinical, they could have made better decisions in the final third, which are recurring themes for this team. And, and, and it's not like they had Brisbane on the ropes at any point. And Brisbane still brought pretty considerable quality. Like, you yeah. still had India Page Riley knocking around in the front line. She's so, okay. So, yeah, she's a decent player. And she was neutralized for the most part. But, but you know, 
my point is I, I don't think the Phoenix will be like, oh, we really missed something there. However, in a season where you're kind of scraping points together, yeah, this was a big chance, especially that, like, you know, not having Gorry. I mean, Crum is one thing, but not having Gorry, who is really just like the beating heart of that Brisbane team, that's a huge opportunity for the uh, Phoenix. If you'll indulge me for a moment, um, some of these stats I, I mentioned to uh, Dale and Dave previously, and they they went, really? Um, quite surprised about them. 61% possession, uh, 20 shots to 13 in favour of the Knicks, two big chances to one in favour of the Knicks, 78% uh, pass ratio to 65, less than half the fouls committed, more corners, roughly the same shots on target, nine shots to two off target. Yeah, the passing stats were all wildly in favour of the Knicks. It, it it looks like it was a game we dominated possession, didn't just just didn't quite know what to do with it. Yeah, and I I don't know. I was I was obviously having that chat with you before we went on air, and I I was. Uh, freely admitting that by this point I had consumed quite a few beers, so my memory gets a bit a bit more hazy of this game than it was the first. But that's the joy of a double header, right? But it, it felt like a game where, honestly, I think I think we looked pretty decent for the first half. I think we were right in, and it did for periods there feel like we were dominating. Um, but to me, it certainly felt like the second half there was almost an inevitability about the fact Brisbane were going to score. Um, they they felt like they were building better. They felt like they were applying a lot of pressure and we were having to scramble to keep them out. Um, obviously being, you know, holding the 1-0 lead for such a long time gives you hope you're going to see out all three. But I think, I think the amount of pressure they absorbed, um, to me, it felt like they probably were still happy to walk away with a point because this easily could have been robbed back the other way it felt like um, just based on the chances they had. And that probably was down to the fact that we hadn't been clinical enough earlier because I think we, you know, if, if, if the rubber of the green goes the other way, you know, we could have had two or three before this, but we didn't. And that was the reality of the situation. You were, you were defending a one-goal lead and they were piling on the pressure, it felt like to me. And so that, that's why I was surprised hearing the stats afterwards because it did feel like there were periods where we were reasonably dominant, but it also felt like there were there were decent patches of this game where Brisbane were pretty dominant too. So I was expecting some of those stats to come out a bit more even um, than what they obviously did. But that may be the, uh, the alcohol haze coloring my memory. I think what I would say is I think these statistics more reflect a difference in style as much as anything else than dominance because most of the possession that Phoenix had was kind of just knocking it around the back line, which to be fair, they haven't always done very well and they were recycling and they were being patient much better than we have seen. But again, every time when it comes into that kind of final third, yeah, that's where it was breaking down, which at the end of the day, it's, it's a truism, but if you want to win, you've got to score. Mm. And a lot of the possession just was not in a threatening area. Whereas Brisbane, like the way they set up is they don't really need much possession to hurt you. They were kind of freed of, like they didn't have Gory. So they, that really made them kind of a one trick team. Like they were going to look early for yeah. very pacey wingers. Like someone we haven't mentioned is Shay Connors, who is an American import. Import. I can never remember where she, like somewhere down South in like the ACCC conference. So good college pedigree. She is seriously quick. Like skinned Mackenzie Barry every single time just looked like they were in different speeds so Shay Connors is clearly very quick and had the run of that wing like there was just no resistance essentially um and I think she scored so you know that 
that threat was there all game and that is how Brisbane want to play. So that yes, that's reflected in possession stats, but I agree with Dave. This was something that the Phoenix easily could have lost, which is a very depressing framing. But again, I think like the conditioning still isn't at a professional level and the decision-making and the chance-taking in the final third is still south of the professional level. It seemed, to, uh, apart from the goal, and it was... It was Vendemir. Yeah, another Foster um, delivery, which... Did I, did I read it was like her eighth goal contribution this season out of 13, 14, something like that? Crazy, right? Yeah, apart from that, Millie Clegg had um, a chance, and you are talking about it last week, Helena, about her, where she goes left, left, and then right onto her right foot. She had one of those shots. And it kind of reminds me, and now I've seen it so many times, it's, it seems like it's going to be like the woman's version of Paul Eiffel's like in and out. <laughs> um, we're just going to see it every time. In and out, one foot. And defenders aren't going to know what to do. Even though they know it's coming, they still can't They still can't deal with it because she does it so so sharply. Um, it's just a shame her, I think her, her body weight wasn't quite in the right direction. She didn't quite get enough sort of snap on the shot. But it was a, um, she created yeah, a pretty decent scoring chance out of not not a lot. She had that one going back. Recognize this is what I mean about her quality being superior. She recognized that the keeper's weight was going to cover the far post, and so she pulled her shot. She cut in and pulled her shot back to the near post with some whip on it, which like the keepers saved it well. Another American import, but like just that indication just shows you that her game intelligence is something we haven't seen. And you're so right, like. But you can know that that's coming. That doesn't mean you can defend it. That's when you know you've got something special. Yeah, that's valid. You mentioned uh, Michaela Foster with her, with her little production line of uh, delivery. That It's getting to the point of being a little ridiculous almost uh, if it wasn't paying off, With um, especially with set piece being such a, let's call it a weapon for the Knicks. Um, Vandermeer, I mean, I don't know how many goals the backs have scored this season, but it feels like all of them. Are we becoming reliant on that, or is it? And we're not creating enough in the final third. Is it just we're not taking the opportunities in the final third? I mean, in a word, yes, we are reliant on it, right? Because it's it is the the one thing in this team that is reliably done with professional level quality, like Michaela Foster's ability to hit a dead ball both feet is world class. It just is. Like, you stick that delivery in the US Women's National Team, it doesn't look out of place. And there's nothing else in the team right now that is at that level. Like, no one takes chances like that. I mean, because I would like to see Grace Wisniewski starting to shoot more because in the under-17s, she was a striker. She has always been a striker for as long as I've known her. That said, so was Alex Rufa in 108 (laughs) games. (laughs) Okay, I mean... I feel as though that is reductum ad absurdium. Take a lawyer chat elsewhere. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I feel as though you have taken that to an absurd extreme. I understood it. I did Latin at school. Because Grace has scored a banger this season. She has. She has scored. But is, is that a confidence issue that you think for Grace? Or is this a, we need to get it closer. We need to make, we need to maximize those chances. Both. I just, I think that the mentality of multiple scoring threats is not really there yet, which is you know, to be expected when you take all these people out of literally like the NRFL one week, like Hamilton Wanderers one week, yeah. A-League women the next. Like We should expect these things, but equally we should talk about them because something 
Mm. Happy International Women's Day. Something I'm very sensitive to in women's sports is like an insulting pref- like an insulting tolerance of mediocrity just always not wanting to criticize and not wanting to point out what's not good enough because you're like well at least the women are playing it's disrespectful to those athletes you know like they they will know what the issues are and some one of the issues are people not backing themselves not developing that quality to score goals regularly we shouldn't be that reliant on set pieces but we are do we know uh, what Nat Lawrence's directive because I, I remember uh, there was an equal criticism of the men doing this uh, under Ernie Merrick, uh, just not taking, wanting to get it into that, basically inside the goal box and even deep into the goal box before taking shots. Is do you know that Nat isn't saying, "Hey, don't do that, stay on the ball, carve out a better opportunity"? No one knows anything, but I would think that would be a strange coaching decision given the makeup of that front line. It's very pace based which means you're going to be looking to get to the byline sometimes, but you're also not going to be shy about you want defenders to step out when you've got pace. So you, you need to have scoring threats deeper lying because that will stop the defenders being able to sit deep and just deal with Paige Satchel or whatever. So it would be interesting to me tactically if it was a walk it into the net scenario because that kills what Paige Satchel and Millie Clegg, yeah. et cetera, bring. I think it's an yeah. interesting point you've raised as well, you know, like uh to to distill it down you've kind of you've kind of talked up you know the quality of our backs and said that it's to some extent the the you know the front third that's underperforming and i think coming into last season and certainly this season uh, people who don't follow women's football closely would be more likely to know the names who are play, playing in that front third of the field than they are to know the players playing at back third right so i think i think to some extent what you're seeing um is actually the players who've been plucked out of, as you say, you know, the clubs are doing really well. And those big names that I think probably management and back office staff expected to perform well are actually the ones who are underperforming. Uh, we're not seeing goals out of the out of the name players we might expect to see. Now, some of that's injuries and and you know, there is there is some explanation for some of those players who are who are big names, perhaps not um, contributing as much as we'd expect. But I think it should be heartening to see that the players we're talking about contributing massively are the ones that weren't household names um, coming into this. And, you know, I use that term loosely, given how many people probably couldn't name any of the women's footballers, which is its own separate discussion. But the ones that people do know are not the ones who are contributing the most here. And I think that should be heartening to see that we are getting some quality coming through that youth. And hopefully that'll continue. We're not going to have to rely on those numbers we're dragging in from elsewhere to contribute the quality because that's not what we're relying on the moment. That's for sure. What I would like to see is something I think, you know, Western United in this league are the new team and they've come in and kind of set the league alight and until this weekend when Sydney FC clawed them in had been kind of this Leicester City kind of story. And I think something that they did really well was they brought Jess McDonald in, which obviously is a resourcing point, but that aside, they brought in this international quality player who I can already tell you when I watch those young Western United forwards like Robers, um, there's another one whose name it now escapes me, but there's two real young forwards who have turned into mini Jess McDonald's. You can literally see the learning that has occurred on that training pitch. And that's something that I, I just wish we had from those big names or maybe we need to look to do. Was that not what Flea was going to do for the Knicks? Well, yeah, 
Yes, but you know, equally, Flea has been in the same environment as a lot of these players for a long time. Yeah, because she has always been played for the mainland pride, and I, I think she's an incredible servant of the game in New Zealand. She's really high quality, super talented, but it's not like these players haven't been exposed to being in the same environment as her before. Whereas Jess McDonald is no one who's playing in the Melbourne Premier League or whatever they have would have experienced a Jess McDonald. And it, it did give them a point of difference that has outlasted Jess McDonald going back to the States. That's something I'd like to see. And arguably it's something that like Paige Satchel, who's played at FC Sand in the Frauen Bundesliga, she should theoretically be bringing that. She has better professional pedigree than I think we remember. Her first professional contract was to Germany. I guess um, it's looking ahead. Ideally, you want to see the, the league not make us forced to have a certain number of Australian players, right? And, and that, you know, the non-Kiwis that we do have, we can sort of hit a little higher and, and look overseas for some more talented players to help supplement the the kind of youngish um, Kiwis that are in the side. So... Um, Hopefully with Central Coast coming in next year, the um, the need that the FA or the APL or whoever has made the decision feels that that's necessary is, is gone because they've got another team there with full of Australians. Yeah. And, I mean, uh, the way um, those those people who were at the members' night um, last week, I think it was, would, would have noted probably how the Phoenix talk about um, the spots they do have in that women's side. You know, they view them as Kiwi spots and that in order to sign an international player, they have to give up a Kiwi spot. I doubt that's how the rules talk about it. I'm sure they're just talked about as international spots and they can use them for Kiwis, but it it shows you what that mentality is, and probably rightly so, that they view them first and foremost as slots for Kiwi players, and they don't want to necessarily give them up for internationals. Um, and, and I think that's admirable, but it may be that they do need to look at those discussions around whether or not it's worth... Um, sacrificing some positions in the squad to, you know, helping develop players through having that pedigree in there, you know? I mean, it's admirable if slightly counterproductive because 100% the aim has to be to develop good Kiwi professionals, but it is not only served Correct. By only getting those, those yeah, Kiwi exactly, spots. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just just filling them with Kiwis doesn't necessarily achieve that goal, right? You might you might be able to give up one of those spots to better serve the other spots that remain. Um, and as you say, there's there's bigger considerations to that in terms of the money and and all sorts of things, right? Being able to attract them here in the first place. But I would hope that they're thinking about that because you see it you see it across the game in a lot of facets that bringing in a player like that really can allow that development of younger players you know if you don't have those people around them it, it the development might actually be slowed even though you're giving them minutes on a field it's not necessarily productive i'm going to get you to remember the term about developing kiwi professionals a bit later on we should uh just jump back to the game itself nat lawrence had a bit of an issue um with some afters uh there that didn't get picked up I again the highlights didn't really do this justice to be quite honest. Um, do you want to talk us through this, Helena? Because you had vocal opinions prior to pressing record. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's this is. I mean, having just said that there's no such thing as consistency, blah blah blah. This is wild inconsistency, like very blatant. So 
we know that the rules of the game are if you make contact with someone's face, sayonara. Like we we talked about that stupid yeah. Mariners player and his stupid little aggression, etc. Yeah. <laughs> we had this conversation, and what you essentially have is Hassett and the captain of the Raw, whose name now completely escapes me. Bit of a tangle of legs, nothing really in it, and it's Nori. a tense game at this point. Sorry, it's Nori, isn't it? Yeah. And she, the Brisbane player, kind of, as she's getting up, intentionally pushes Betsy Hassett in the face back into the ground. Now, two things I'd make. One, stupid. Two, Betsy Hassett, like, is coming back from a broken nose. And there was, like, league-wide publicity on that about her Batman mask. And league-wide publicity on that and about the broken nose and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and the concussion. And so then you have someone literally putting their palm into her nose to push her back into the turf. So it's actually quite, maybe not the most force to come back to the stupid little finger poke thing. Not the most force in the world, but some clear malice and intent. It's quite violent in terms of intent. And it's just, there's no red card. And then fast forward a little bit, who's the player assisting the Brisbane goal? And, and it's hard because I, I, I completely agree. This, this is a red card, but we know this league doesn't have VAR. And that's such an inequity, right? What I did see of this is just, it, it's maddening. If if a Mariners player, um, well, I think it was Nate Maresh, can get sent off for touching the face with the point of his index finger, and we all go, yeah, of course he gets sent off pushing a player in the face that's just a no-no right it's just the intent is so it's not even it's not even like she just goes to shove because she loses her mind a little bit for a second and it happens to be the face like it's it's pretty it's pretty targeted shove and that to me is just a reprehensible but b what what is the ref seeing yeah this is potentially just that the ref doesn't want to get involved um for afters. I mean, I, we've seen this in a lot of inexperienced refs. You know, they, they, they see the afters and just go, oh, we'll settle down. Let's settle down and just stick to football. And it doesn't really. But there's afters and then there's, I mean, like, yes, when it's like stupid afters. Like this brings me back to men in long socks pressing their foreheads together as some kind of display of aggression. That, I can understand why a ref is like, okay, you bunch of idiots, I'm going to walk away now. This is not that. Like, this goes to a control of the game point. Because if a player is doing that when the ball is gone, that makes me concerned about how that player is going to go into challenges, etc. Yeah. Yeah, I I think you're right. When, When this sort of aggression goes unsanctioned, you do start seeing the aggression coming into the into the play on the field. We we saw that a bit with the Mariners game. Just when it gets let go for a bit, uh, testosterone reigns, and I don't think that you know that doesn't occur in a woman's game by any stretch. So no one likes getting a, a push in the face. Uh, bring it back to that previous point about developing uh, New Zealand players. Uh, bad news on that front, in that uh, we've just heard. Uh, somewhat more concrete rumours coming out that uh, about where uh, Clayton Lewis, Oli Sale and Stephen Ugarkovich are going. It's rumoured that Clayton Lewis will be going to Campbelltown, Oli Sale to Perth and Stephen Ugarkovich to uh, Melbourne City. Obviously, 
Stephen Ugarkovic, I, I don't begrudge him going back to Australia. It makes perfect sense. But Clayton Lewis, and especially Ollie Sale, who's kind of been developed through the Knicks, and so, I mean, obviously Lewis has to a lesser degree. This kind of hurts, right? I think they're strange decisions on both counts. If they're true, like on the basis that there's not going to be huge player turnover at MacArthur, kind of player Lewis's interesting decision. And then the the Perth thing, I mean, we talked about this last week, but I just don't get that at all. It's money. It has to be. But I mean, even how much more can they, I don't know. I wouldn't move to Perth for any, for any sum. I think I think the only other reason that that Ollie might be going there, and and I think Dale hinted at it the other week, is release terms, right? I I wonder if he's managed to negotiate a deal with Perth um, that allows him better opportunities to leave should an offer come in. There were obviously rumours last season um, around offers being made for Ollie and potentially turned down by the club. We don't know the details of that, but certainly the rumour mill was was flowing that some offers were made. Maybe he's pissed off that that the Phoenix didn't accept an offer that he thought was good enough and, and wanted to go. I don't I don't know that to be the case, but if if there is something like that in play here, maybe what he's negotiated himself at Perth is a is a really easy out, a minimum buyout or or some sort of agreement with the club that not only pays him more money week to week, but lets him leave on easier terms if he wants to, right? Because I think if the Phoenix were re-signing him, they wouldn't be re-signing him to say, yeah, yeah, leave whenever you like. Right. Whereas if Perth are getting him out of nowhere for free, they might be like, you know what? Sure, we'll let you leave pretty much for free as well. You know, um, it might hurt us a little, but they're getting a keeper out of nothing too. So they might be a bit more lenient on that. That's the only thing I can imagine might make sense here. Yeah, I mean the Gagovic one, I mean, doesn't bother me that much. He came here on one year deal. I was expecting him to disappear at the end of that. It seemed like he we, we were just being used to get out of uh, a Mark Rudan coach Western Sydney United. So. <laughs> And get a bit of form back and all that, right? And he's certainly done that. Well, I mean, when he runs fit, I don't think he's our top two central midfielder. Uh, I I think he's behind Lewis. And if you're a scout or a, you know any other team looking at his performances, though, do you think he's done himself a disservice? I don't think so. I think he's I think he's looked more than good enough, right? He's shown his wares for a season and is now using that to kick on. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think it's um yeah you know, I don't think he's been our our best midfielder or you know like. Yeah, it's kind of like there or thereabouts, and so that's okay. Lewis one, this one is a bit more, I think, challenging for us to deal with because, yeah. you know, he is uh, a KPI, A-League quality midfielder, um, you know, probably in the top handful of, of central midfielders. And one and one that Ufi was looking to centre his whole team around, said so in, in that preseason. Yeah, and you know we've only got one foreign spot to play with next year if Sass doesn't stay on. So, yeah, you kind of look for like easy replacements for him. Not many Kiwi ones, unless you know yeah. Singh comes back or something. Or, <laughs> but even know. then, Singh's not going to. I mean, I know he's been playing defensive midfield for Jan Regensburg, but I, I don't think he's defensive midfielder in the A League. And, and MacArthur's an interesting choice because first time A League coach playing a similar position to Uli de Villiers. like I, I, I'm assuming they're going to see him more as a defensive midfielder which I think you know, he is capable but I don't think this is by far his best position yeah that, that one's a little bit strange and a bit harder for the, for the Phoenix to address I think Oli Sale yeah. um, you know we haven't seen Paulson play for a while so it really depends on how he's developed or not 
but I feel like there might be some others that might be floating around that we might be able to grab. Um, you know, Vood in, in Japan, you know, he hasn't played much over there. He can be quite handy if he's in the right headspace. So there's some more options there, but I think that the Clayton one's a bit harder, a bit harder proposition to, to deal with. Yeah, I, I think that's a massive loss for us. It's just we don't get players with his quality of pass naturally in New Zealand. It's just not something that comes out of the woodwork very often. It, it gives them a scary midfield, right? Up against up against Lewis and, and Uli is a pretty scary midfield. Depending on who else they bring into that squad next season, that's that's a midfield to watch, right? Um but I think I think the interesting thing there as well is unless I'm missing something, he's an import for them, right? So yeah. that's a it's a pretty big call from them that they're spending not only the import slot, but I assume money as well on that. Whereas Ollie, I believe, has a dual passport. He he qualifies yeah. as Australian somewhere somewhere in the family and and so he's not an import so for Perth like I say it um it all that largely seems like a freebie get for them so I won't be surprised if they're favorable terms favorable terms but Lewis seems like they will have had to court him and offer him something decent to get him there yeah I mean I've mentioned previously MacArthur has the laziest recruitment of any club in the A-League like their foreign yep. players are literally just buying someone else's foreign, foreign player yep uh, they did it with early pay for that right yeah they did it at noon um, much I think was one early, early, yeah, and Clayton. Like almost all of their uh, import players are just f- from within the league. Like they just super lazy. Like when does the um, sweetheart deal for cash stop? I thought it was only two years. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's too. over already. Yeah, yeah. Kurt is another. Yeah. Yeah, true enough. Um, yeah, you, you did mention Singh there. Uh, I, I, he's still got a year to go on his buying contract after this season. Um, I'm not sure what kind of clause he has as far as relegation goes. Bayern don't like their their second stringers playing uh, Bundesliga uh, three, and Jan, Jan Regensburg is uh, firmly in the relegation zone. So yeah, Domi, if you're listening, cheeky offer. Not going to go astray. Little little loan deal, I guess. On to the uh, the next games as we've got to try and focus on this season, and I'm trying to focus on uh, Dale's notes. Uh, the men are up against Sydney in Auckland. This is uh, if we're calling the last game against um, Newcastle a six pointer. This too is a six pointer. Realistically, see Sydney off, and it opens up a nice little gap ahead of. Um, the chasing pack. How do we feel about this one? Confident? No. We haven't lost at Eden Park so far. Um, I guess no Burgess for them after he got sent off for his little kick out. Um, and there's obviously talk of Zavada being on baby watch, so he might not be able to make it, which will be, I think it probably depends on whether he plays or not, I think is how that goes. I think that's valid. The joy, at least it's not in Australia, so maybe there could be a an emergency flight up or back or whatever, uh, that means he can do both things. It's so New Zealand's finest city. We'll be all good. Yeah, New Zealand's finest football stadium too. We don't, they don't lose there. So, you know. All of the rest of New Zealand rely on like self-deprecating humour. Aucklanders, not so much. <laughs> honestly, we have earned it. Yep. Spoken like an Aucklander. Well done. We should play two games here. One at one at uh, North Harbour as well. Okay, look. Yeah. Okay. Don't bring up North Harbour Stadium, or we what? might have to talk about 
Wellington's water infrastructure. I, I hear the public transport out at Mount Smart's pretty good as well, so maybe we take a game there too. I hear that Wellington had one bus turn up today. That's a big day for Wellington. <laughs> All the civil servants would have fit on it. Yeah, they're all working from home. It's fine. That, so that uh, is Sunday, 3 p.m., um, which suits my timetable nicely, even though I'm not getting to go. Uh, is anyone going up for that? Uh, I might. I might not. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's what is it, men in long socks? So. Yeah, men's football just, I don't know. Uh, the women are playing Sydney uh, themselves on Saturday. I believe it's at 5 p.m. Um, that is a bit of a rematch from only a fortnight ago. Um, Dale has suggested that they lost one all. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that's wholly accurate. At least one of those statements is wrong. Um, I think it was 1-0, wasn't it? Yeah. Checking your focused. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm reasonably awake, but I think maybe uh, we need to get um, some proofreading going on. Uh, how do we feel this game is going? Sydney tends to have a bit of firepower, but didn't seem to do much more than sneak it last time. If you can neutralise Courtney Vine to a relative degree and you use Mickey Foster properly because I think Sydney's quite vulnerable to set pieces this weekend because their goalkeeper and their starting centre-back took each other out in their last game. So that combined with some other injuries means that they're going to have a real makeshift back line. So I think that this is perfectly set up for a daylight robbery for the Knicks. Oh, bold statement. I like that. That's me. But no, seriously, their centre back and their goalkeeper ran into each other. So hope they're okay. Charlotte McLean fractured her cheekbone, which is pretty horrible. But it is an opportunity for the Phoenix. Yep. Hope hope they're okay next week. Yeah, well, Charlotte McLean's gone for a wee while. But yeah, so if Mickey Foster gets it on the penalty spot and we have some decent finishing, it's points in it. Hokey pokey. Has anyone got any final statements they want to add? Uh, any philosophical uh, lawyering? I would like to say it's International Women's Day, so everyone should be really nice to me. <laughs> By the time this goes out, it won't be. Yeah. <laughs> Women, you've had your one day. You've had your day. Back in your box. Yep. Yep. Um, thank you, Uber, for sending those wonderful messages telling me to credit a woman <laughs> so that she doesn't get attacked in the middle of the night, I guess. and not better solution would be men not attacking women. But it all counts. I would have thought that Uber could contribute a, a, a lot of their, well, some of their mountains of cash themselves. But, you know, capitalism. Uh, that's your communist rant for the day. Um, We'll wrap it up there because obviously I'm going to La La Land. Thank you. uh, (laughs) Thank you, Helena. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Dave. Uh, We will come back next week, hopefully, with a couple of wins under that belt. See ya. Yeah.